0: We pray in our Lord's Prayer, which we will do at the latter part of the service. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Notice the words. Forgive as we forgive. Or as I forgive. We are asking God to forgive my trespasses as I am forgiving others' trespasses to me. And we have from Matthew 6 where Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount if you will not forgive the trespasses of others neither will your heavenly father forgive you yours pretty serious isn't it we have the story of Joseph and Joseph is regarded as a Christ figure in that he exemplifies the message of Jesus that was to come centuries later take a look at Joseph a young man probably in the early teens the favorite of his father and he knew it and he tended to rub that into his brothers and they of course cast him into a pit and when the Arabs, Midianites, some Arabs came by who were going down to Egypt to trade they sold uh, Joseph into slavery what a come down for the young man now he's a slave being driven along by the hostile Bedouin tribes the Arabs Midianites as they're called in the Bible he goes down to Egypt and there he's sold into slavery he becomes the head of a household and becomes so efficient in running the household that the master's wife fell in love with him and wanted to seduce him he wouldn't have it She cried, rape, and he's back in prison. There he stays until a couple of of people from the Pharaoh's household are in the dungeon with him, and they have a dream, and Joseph tells them what the dream meant, and one of them was going to be restored to uh, his position in the household, and another was going to have uh, a his position destroyed, and that is to say he was going to lose his life. So there you have a situation, and when the Pharaoh had a dream, the one that had his dream interpreted by Joseph, said, well, there's a guy in prison that you can go and find out what your dream meant. So he called Joseph in, and Joseph told him what the dream meant. And Pharaoh was so impressed with his record before and with what he did that he said, okay, be in charge of everything. Get us ready for the famine. The famine of seven years. But we know the story. After a while, Joseph and the, I mean, Jacob, rather, and Joseph's brothers and the whole family were in dire straits. They go down to Egypt. They're recognized by Joseph and there are a lot of things going on back and forth that I want to take uh, time to go through, except that they finally end up in Joseph's presence in Egypt. What does Joseph do? Now remember, this young man had lost his relationship with his father, had been sold into slavery, had been imprisoned twice, and now had power almost unlimited. What would he do to his brothers? And we have the story of forgiveness. How was Joseph able to survive all those years in prison and in misery and everything and come out that kind of a person? We need to ask ourselves that. What was it in Joseph that allowed him to survive all that and come out a forgiving person. Well, he probably learned it from his father Isaac who learned it from Abraham that the presence of the Lord and he was and he was with the Lord even though all these things were going on. And how we need to remember that in our lives when all these things are going on that are so troublesome, God is still on his throne. And here's something that out of history the reason that Jacob was able to go down to Egypt was because the Egyptian pharaoh at that time happened to be a Semitic or, an, or of, the, of the Arab general bloodline. The Hyksos, they had conquered Egypt. And for many generations, they ruled Egypt until such time as the Egyptians were able to throw off the Hyksos, the foreigners and regained the throne in that time that was when Joseph was in charge of the Pharaoh's name because he was of the same blood lineage however later on when the Egyptian Pharaoh came back to the throne we had the story of the persecution and Moses and Exodus and so forth think of that in terms of the God of history we sometimes forget that God is in charge of this world. We look at the consequences of evil, the consequences that's what's going on, and we say to ourselves, you know, how can that be? How can a God of justice and love and so forth allow this to happen? We have trouble with that, don't we? Why isn't God straightening out the mess? Well, the simple fact is that that mess that we have made of this earth is what Jesus addressed in that section we read from the gospel. Remember the words. The disciples were, and Jesus were criticized by the Pharisees who kept all the kosher laws. And clothing, including what they would eat on Sunday and so forth. And Jesus and his disciples didn't always keep the kosher laws when there was something of a larger responsibility before them, such as the healing of a person or whatever. And so they were criticized. And those religious leaders didn't like being criticized. They're blind leaders of the blind. And they will both fall in a ditch. Now that's salt talking. and We've talked about that here many times. Jesus was being salty. The truth was that they were blind leaders of the blind. And they were both going to fall into a very severe ditch. Explain that to us. Are you also without understanding... It's not the kosher laws or the food laws or whether you're a vegetarian or not or whether you uh, are a vegetarian in terms of animals or whatever that have eyes that can look at you, as we've all heard, or if they have those eyes, we can't eat them because they are, uh, you know, I just can't handle that. We have all kinds of things about our eating processes and so forth. But that's not what defiles us. And what defiles us is what I want to address this morning. Out of the heart come these things, and notice what Jesus lists. Out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. Quite a list, isn't it? Notice the words. Evil intentions. Murder. Murder. Adultery, fornication, fornication, sex between people who aren't married, is God against that? Better believe it. Theft, false witness, and slander, and the list could go on and on. Jesus was simply making a list of the things that are coming out of the heart of human beings. we think we can cover that by being good people and then uh, doing various religious rituals that's where the Jewish nation has been stuck from that day to this we keep as many of the laws as we can and then we do the various sacrifices and they'll make up for it obviously that isn't the way it works the religion of the world is just that do the best you can and then do whatever religious exercise you need in order to make up the difference, to keep the books of St. Peter balanced. What a travesty. As we've heard time and time again, the natural law of this creation, upon which this creation rests, are immutable, they never change, they will always be there, and if um, there's nothing we can do, either through our ignorance, or through our Rebellion or whatever to change those laws. They are there. But the problem is, you see, we humans build our various towers of Babel. As you know, my background, Ph.D., is in speech communication. And one of the things that the psychology of speech people drilled into our heads was simply this. Today, or tomorrow we say it's Monday, Monday the moon day when we're supposed to honor the god of moon or goddess of moon whichever sex they come in and we honor monday are we committing adult and uh, idol worship how about tuesday the god of war how about wednesday woden the chief of the and thursday thor the god of thunder freya the goddess of love and sex what are we doing remember this a human construct as to what God is is false to the core that doesn't exist I can talk from now until I'm blue in the face about Thor and Woden and Freya, but they are human constructs of language and human constructs of language are not reality and never will be And how we need to listen to that in this day and age. Because you have stuff coming over the uh, television and over the emails and stuff like that that are human constructs. Never, never accept that as reality. Because a human construct is simply language used to make this proposition or that proposition or something like that. And it is not reality. It's very important for us to remember that in this day and age. Jesus said in that 13th chapter of John this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Then we forget the next verse which says by this shall all men know that you're my disciples that you have love for one another. By this All men will know that you're my disciples because of your love for one another. Wow. If we do not have love for one another, as demonstrated by our anger, our withdrawals, our times when we don't want to cooperate the things we don't want, we want to take umbrage about this or that, that feeds directly into the activity of Satan. By this, all men shall know that you're my disciples because of your love for one another. You see, what does all this mean? The simple fact that we're all involved with a thing called, in the book of Revelation, the Battle of Armageddon. Now, I know that there are various people that say that's going to happen someday and all that. Forget that. The church is taught from the very beginning, and our theology is that the Battle of Armageddon has been going on since the beginning of the time human beings knew right from wrong. And we had the choice of doing wrong, and we took it. And then we have the choice of whether or not we will continue to do wrong, or whether we will fight evil and bring out the best that we're capable of doing through this conflict, which we're all involved in. Nobody is exempt from this. Everybody will be on one side of the battle of Armageddon or the other, which is going on right now. We will be on one side or the other. That is simply the fact. Either we're part of the solution or we're part of the problem. And how we need to remember that in this day and age, because there are so many people who refuse to look at reality, refuse to deal with reality, refuse to deal with what is going on, just like what happened back there when Jeremiah was telling the, the Israelites, hey, the Babylonians are gonna come. They're gonna come and take our city because of all the things we've done. No, God'll take care of us. They're going to come. We don't want to hear what you have to say, Jeremiah. They're going to come, you better get ready. They took and threw him in a well. Thank God there wasn't any water in it, otherwise he'd have drowned. So what do you do with the message? You kill the messenger. And that's where we're facing this day and age. See, everybody, every human being has to develop some kind of spiritual connection. Whether it is atheism or Gnosticism or some kind of belief system, whatever it is, we all have a spiritual connectedness of some kind. We all have a need to do a stewardship of our gifts. We have time, energy, and possession. What are we going to do with them? We all have social interaction with, with other people in our family, with our community, with our nation. What are we going to do with that? And we all have our personal development. We are on a journey, and that journey will take us from where we are, day cycle by day cycle, somewhere. Somewhere. And Jesus said in the 10th chapter of John, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I am come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. In every arena of our human development, spiritual, our stewardship, our social relationships, and our personal relationships, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. Where is our enemy? Jesus said, from the heart. Well, we know that the heart is simply a vessel to pump blood. But metaphorically, the ancient people thought that the heart was the center of the emotions. Some people thought, the Greeks thought, that the center of the emotion was the stomach. Because apparently, you know, you get tight and so forth. But we know that we have a spiritual essence. We call it a soul. And that soul interacts and does what it needs to do or thinks it needs to do in those areas of life that we have to deal with. Our spirituality, our social relations, our stewardship, and our personal life. And in that we have attitudes. We have attitudes within our soul, within our spiritual essence, our executive ego, and those attitudes are what evil plays on to get us to do what we want to do, what he wants us to do, to destroy us. There's a whole division of psychology called attitudinal psychology. And we know that when we we have a problem and we're not happy with some of our behavior, When we're doing something that doesn't work, or when we do something that does work, behind every one of those actions is an attitude that makes it possible. For instance, many people suffer from fear of abandonment. Somehow or other, in their very early months of their life, they were not treated the way they thought they should be treated. And they fear abandonment, and that fear underlies their action for the rest of their life. Because of that fear of abandonment, they have a difficult time having faith in God. Because of that fear of abandonment, they have difficulty trusting other people. That's just but one example of many, many things like this. Fear of criticism. Some people are so afraid of being wrong that they never go right. They're stuck in neutral because if I do this or if I do that, they might criticize me. Some people are stuck in self-righteousness. I have an idea of myself and my self-worth and it is so profound that I don't want you even questioning me in any way, shape, or form. How many fights have started off because between husband and wife between friends between people simply over this idea that I have the knowledge and you don't have it and if you question me you're in trouble attitude of fear lies back of practically every single thing we do fear fear of being hurt fear of not having fear of of tomorrow, fear of not having enough money, fear of you name it. That's the kind of thing you see. Those come from our, those attitudes come our, from our soul, and they are the things that Satan plays his music on. Satan used them to defile us. What can we do? Let's look at the beginning of the New Testament and the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount the eight blessed attitudes because our attitudes are so important this starts the Jesus message in the Gospels this starts the New Testament blessed are the humble for theirs is the kingdom of heaven says teachable really blessed are the teachable blessed are they that mourn for what is not but should be Mourning for what we know ought to be but isn't, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Without that hunger, we have no need for being filled. Blessed are the merciful. Think how many times people get so many kicks out of making life miserable for somebody else, to their jokes, through their cruel statements, to one thing or another. That is straight from hell itself. It is an expression of a soul that has not come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of what they might say or what they might do. Blessed are the committed, the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are you when you're persecuted. Rejoice and be glad. You've had an assault in your teaching and your saying in your life that people are not happy with you. That's good. Because that's what has been true down through the long centuries, over and over and over again. What to do? You can go to a psychologist, and they'll talk to you about going back into your childhood, early years, and find out what happened that got you into the frame of mind that is exhibited by your behavior today. But why not go to Jesus? Why not go to Jesus and ask him, "What? why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why Why am I so nervous about things? What? What's going on in my heart that makes this the way it is? You might find out it's Self pity. I, Lord, why don't you come and straighten things out for me? Why don't you come and help me when I'm in trouble? I'm, and we forget all the benefits we have due to our self pity. It's called Plum's disease, poor little old me. See, these attitudes were what kept Joseph going during those times when he was in the dungeons. He got an attitude of trust, and faith is an attitude. He got an attitude of trust from Isaac or from his great-grandfather Abraham, we don't know. But wherever he got it, it stood him instead during all those terrible times when you and I, and you know he was too, tempted to say, if I get out of here, I am going to wreck those people for what they've done to me. I am going to ruin their lives if I have the chance to do it. And we hear, and the words were known at that time already, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Not yours. Not yours to repay. Remember, as we go into these situations, there but by the grace of God I would be and when I get rid of the log that's in my eye then I can think in terms of helping get somebody to get the sliver out of their eye and that's what Jesus was talking about all of us and I include myself with this we need to spend so much time asking ourselves why we did what we did why we think what we think why we got ourselves into the trouble we're thinking of. Why, why life ended up like this. And it's because of the attitudes that lie back of every single phase of our behavior. Every single phase. You see, once we begin to recognize what got me into the trouble, or recognize how I was able to get through that by a blessed attitude I experienced the resurrection power of Jesus Christ remember Jesus said I am the resurrection and the life they who believe in me though they were dead yet shall they live and whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die that resurrection power is available for each of us as we live out our life the American church situation has gotten itself into such trouble by believing we could have an experience, by believing that they've made me a child of God, and now my role is to go out and get some other people. That is not what Jesus taught. Our responsibility is to grow up spiritually, to commit to the living Jesus Christ in our day-to-day living, and allow Jesus to take us to our struggles, to our hurts, to our pain, through our moments on the mountain, through our moments when things are, and remember and share with those the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And it's available for us, thanks be to God. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the new life. And this world is made in terms of cycles. We are not on a timeline in which the past is influ- and influences the, the present and look out for tomorrow and so forth and so on. The Bible is written in, t- in cycles, and that cycles, thanks be to God, have a beginning, a growing, an aging, and an ending so a new cycle can begin. And when, how many times have we, when we, a cycle has ended, have we in bed perhaps, been awakened in the night, and had to talk in terms of why? Why did I do? Why did I say? Why have I been? Why have I not? Why, 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 why? And the human gift of God is the why questions, because it's in an the answer to the why questions I can find, I can deal with the realities of my own spiritual growth and development. It's a beautiful world that God has given to us—a resurrection power world, a power to change and to grow and to become, and to experience that day by day by day. In the cycles of life, we've got to take a look at what works. Thanks be to God that it works. At what doesn't work, help me, Lord Jesus, to find out what does and overcome evil with good because that's how it works. There is resurrection power for us for every moment, every experience, everything that we experience in this life. It's there for us. And as Paul said to the Corinthians, we all with unveiled faces are beholding in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed into his image, from glory unto glory, in the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Joseph experienced way back there that kept him going in those dark years as a young man. And that's what keeps us going today in all the things that are going on in this world. Just as God was able to take the invasion of the Semitic people into Egypt and set up this whole thing of the Moses and everything else, so God is able to take the things that we experience today and turn them into blessings if we will walk with him in the saltiness and in the light of the world looking to ourselves for the things within us that are causing what goes forth from our mouth and in our lives to be not what it needs to be. That we grow up spiritually day by day, year by year, until our graduation time into eternity. Amen.